Good morning. If you were paying attention there, you'll be able to tell me what was the bread of life in that last hymn. That's right, the word of God. It said, break thou the bread of life. So take your bread of life and break it to Acts chapter 20. At least one person was paying attention. After having taken a little uh, side trip to the book of Romans for two weeks, we are now back in the book of Acts. And Lord willing, we'll finish up chapter 20 this morning. By the way, uh, another little responsibility check here. You remember I told you three weeks ago when I handed out those little maps, I said, hang on to those because we're going to use them in three weeks. How many still have their maps? Oh, very good. I'm proud of you. We're not going to use them right now. We'll use them in a minute. Acts chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board. For so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We saved from there. And the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities 
and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. We're going to look this morning at the job of an elder. We have uh, many passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, describing elders. We're familiar with the sections in 1 Timothy and Titus talking about the qualifications, but scattered, particularly throughout the letters of Paul, are descriptions of what an elder does, what his life is like. And we have no better description than here in the message of Paul to the Ephesian elders. Before we get into the passage, um, just a little bit of uh, preview of what's going to happen to Paul. Uh, I think most of you know, if you've read the book of Acts, he's about to be arrested in Jerusalem, taken away to Rome and put in prison. And as I have said throughout the book of Acts, as we go through here, don't get lost in the trees and forget the forest. Let's stand back and remember the big picture. What's really going on here, even though it appears that we're about to lose one of the great men of God, Jesus is building his church, right? So there are no mistakes. Everything is going according to plan. So knowing that uh, we know that Paul is about to be removed uh, suddenly from ministry, although we know that he was in prison for two years, he was released, ministered a couple of more years, was, was arrested again, and then he was executed. Uh, why would the Lord remove such an important man? Well, uh, we can think of at least four reasons. You've got to be careful, by the way. People go around saying, uh, you know, the Lord did this uh, because uh, he was accomplishing such and such. They like to think that they know why God does things. Unless you can find it in the word of God, be careful about that. Okay? We can't second guess God. and We don't know why he does things quite often. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But in this case, we have uh, reasons, at least four reasons in the Bible. First of all, we saw here in the book of Acts and in the Romans when we went through it that Paul desired to go to Rome, didn't he? And uh, in fact, he said he was going to go to Rome after he got to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if that was meant to be a prophecy, but it ended up being right. However, the way he ended up going to Rome, I don't think was the way he anticipated it. But in a way, it's an all-expenses-paid trip to Rome, isn't it? you know, at the expense of the Roman government. I think God was honoring his desire to go there. Um, and while he was there, just as he desired, he was able to help the believers. We know from the very last part of the book of Acts that it wasn't um, a real strict confinement. He was able to rent a house and was able to meet one-on-one with the believers from Rome. Secondly, God accomplished wonderful things during that imprisonment because Paul wrote during that time four wonderful letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, commonly known as the prison epistles, and how much poorer we would be without those. Uh, third, think about it. Paul has been going to the cities throughout Asia and Greece, preaching in marketplaces and synagogues, down by riversides, wherever you can find the crowds. But the gospel itself has not yet 
penetrated deeply into the high officials of the Roman Empire. So God has Paul arrested and during his uh, various trials and his imprisonment in Rome, he witnesses to governors, kings, uh, other rulers. And in fact, we find out from the letter to the Philippians that there are actually believers now in the household of Caesar himself. Isn't that cool? You know, God got him into uh, the, the Palatine itself and he witnessed to Caesar's family. And we know also from Philippians that Paul says that there are brethren who spoke up about the Lord Jesus who would not have otherwise done it because Paul was out of circulation. So even in the midst of apparent uh, mistakes, Jesus is building his church. But now let's get into the text today and we'll, we'll do our geography first so we can get that out of the way. If you've got your map now, let's see where he went. Remember we left Paul in Troas. Got Troas right here. They just come over from Macedonia. He preached all night. Remember that? Remember the young fellow that fell out of the window? And Paul raised him from the dead. Okay, well, that's where we left off. It says that uh, we, that Luke is writing this, so he means himself and the other brothers that were with Paul, went ahead and sailed to Assos. Notice it's just down the coast. So they're on the ship. But he says Paul went by land. Maybe he had some disciples to encourage. Maybe he just wanted to be by himself and think and pray. But however it worked out, Paul went on foot from Troas to Assos, and the other brothers went by ship, where they met up again. Then they went to Metilene, or we're, we're butchering these names, I'm sure. Metilene, see, you know, see the island there? Then uh, they came opposite uh, Chios or Chios, so they're back on the coast of uh, Turkey again. Then uh, down to Samos, that's the island down here. See it down toward the bottom? And there's no way we're going to write Trogilium in that little remaining space there. It's actually a little city on Samos. So they actually went there and uh, stayed. Then finally, they, they sailed past Ephesus and landed at Miletus. And that's where we are today. Okay? This, this boat is not an express. Okay, it's a milk run. It stops everywhere. So they, they're at Miletus. Notice they, they went past Ephesus. Paul deliberately did that. If he'd landed at Ephesus, the place he just spent three years establishing the church, he would have been obligated to stay longer. And it's not that he uh, doesn't want to experience hospitality, but he wanted to get back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, which was coming right up. And so what he did was he went to Miletus, stopped there, sent for the elders from Ephesus, had them come down, and that's the message we have here today. He's speaking to them in Miletus. Okay. Um, well, first of all, what, why send for the elders? He was just in Ephesus, remember, for three years. Remember the uh, demonstration by the silversmiths. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Remember that? That was Ephesus. It just happened. And so you think, well, why is he, he? He just got through seeing them. Well, the reason he's doing it is because as he's been traveling through uh, Greece and back down through Asia, we didn't know this from the book of Acts, but he says it, that in every city the Holy Spirit has been testifying that he would be enchained and imprisoned when he goes to Jerusalem. 
So he's sensing this may be the end of his ministry. And so he's calling these brothers down because he's seeing this as his last words to them. So you can imagine how he feels. He really wants to hand the baton to them, so to speak. You know, uh, I've been with you three years, started from scratch. There's a church there now. You guys are elders. You've seen what I've been doing. Now it's your turn. Now you need to step into the gap and take over where I left off. So in this message to them in uh, verses 17 through uh, 27, when he talks about himself, he's not boasting. He's telling them, reminding them what he has done in serving the Lord among the saints so that they can understand. Now, that's what they're going to be doing because he's not going to be there to do it anymore. And really, it's the work of an elder. So he begins uh, by saying in, in verse 18, you know that from the first day I came to you, he's, he's reminding them, you, you don't have to get this second hand. You saw me for three years. You saw how I lived among you, uh, shepherding the church. And he says, with many tears and trials. And as he spoke that, these elders would uh, look back and perhaps they were with him when he wept over the soul uh, of uh, someone seeking Christ maybe weeping over uh, the effect of the false teachers. That really grieved Paul when he would see young believers be sidetracked by these guys with the false gospel. He says, you know, you remember. His life was others directed. That's what he's reminding them. And it's really uh, an admonishment to them. That's the way your lives need to be. Look at my life. I'm leaving now. You need to step in and uh, fill in the gap that's left. He says in verse 20, a wonderful thing. He says, I kept back nothing that was helpful. Down in verse 27, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't stress certain things at the expense of others. That's in a sharp contrast to what you might call today popular Christianity. Carefully chosen messages on certain themes that are safe but you avoid things that are uncomfortable. This is the opposite of that. We live in the age of accommodation, don't we? You know, have it your way. We tailor things. You buy a car, you get just the options that you want. You, uh, you choose your house and you, you pick it just the way so it'll suit you, your clothes. We get health insurance that's tailored just for us. You know, whatever the product, we want it specially custom fit just for ourselves and unfortunately in the time of paul and even today that's done with the word of god men will take the word of god and and twist it and turn it so that it's comfortable for the hearers you know what does he say in timothy tickling their ears paul didn't do that he preached the whole counsel of god he says in verse 21, and see now I go to Jerusalem, pardon me, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the content of his message. And it's a way of getting unpopular with everybody, really, isn't it? Is, there, is repentance a popular message? <laughs> repentance, you know, means I need to change. I don't like to hear that, you know. And then, of course, to the Jews, to preach Christ was anathema. 
What he's saying here, I wasn't popular with, with a lot of people, you know, but I preached the message the way it is from God. In verse 22, he says a very interesting thing. He says, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. It's interesting. He uses that word bound, you know, like tied up. It's interesting. It's ironic because he's going to be bound. In fact, just look ahead here at uh, verse uh, 11 of chapter 21. He's, he's getting closer to Jerusalem now. He's at Caesarea. And while he's there... A guy named Agabus, he's a prophet, goes up to Paul and he takes Paul's belt. And he proceeds to tie himself up with this, with this belt. And he says here in verse 11, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul is going to be bound with chains. The Holy Spirit's already revealed that to him. But Paul says, I'm going not bound by chains i'm going bound by the holy spirit he's he, he he's so constrained by the love of christ to serve god that he, he already senses the, the the bonds you see what does he call himself at the beginning of the, of the letters often a what bond slave or a bond servant of jesus christ that's right again in this age you know we're we're big on uh, i i'm my own person you know I call the shots. I'm me. I did it my way, you know. Don't cramp my style. Well, again, that wasn't the life of Paul. He was bound by the Holy Spirit. He was constrained by the love of Christ. An example to us again. What's interesting here is, I don't know if you thought about it. He says in verse 23, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying the chains and tribulations await me. Notice, uh, he doesn't say, so therefore, I headed the other direction. He doesn't say, as, as the Holy Spirit was warning me that I'm going to be suffering in Jerusalem, I said, well, I better not go to Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Because the Holy Spirit, in foreshadowing his imprisonment and his arrest, didn't say, don't go to Jerusalem. He's just telling Paul in advance what's going to happen to him. And so Paul willingly is going toward probably his his uh, his death he thinks you see just because there's suffering ahead it doesn't mean god says well therefore you need to avoid that you see in fact he uh he expresses his opinion about that whole subject here in verse 24 listen to this but none of these things move me in other words what's going to happen to me nor do i count my life dear to myself Here's all that matters to Paul. So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's good. That's Paul's life goal. In fact, you could really sum it up. He says, finished. Yeah, I want to finish. You know, the world is full of good starters. good beginners they start out well but uh something happens and they run out of gas people start an education maybe they go to high school or college somewhere they drop out 
They get a job and they're all excited on that first day and a year later, they're so disgruntled they want to quit. Marriages begin with uh, wonderful vows and bells and rice and uh, beautiful songs and two, three, four years later end up in divorce. People start projects they never finish. Hobbies. Classic ones. Musical instruments. Anybody here ever started to learn a music instrument and didn't finish? Come on. <laughs> That's a classic, you know. Good starters. But they don't finish. Jesus told the story about the man who uh, went out to build a tower. But he didn't finish it. And it stu- stood as a monument to his uh, lack of stick to And Jesus said, as the people go by, they will look at that tower and they will say, this man began well, but he did not finish. And I've seen many people profess Christ and they begin with a flourish and end with a fizzle. Jesus talked about uh, the seed falling on different kinds of ground. You know, and there are some sprouts right up. Looks good. You come back a year later and it's dead talked about thorns and shallow soil finish as i was thinking about this i thought about the ephesian church the elders to whom he is speaking it's very interesting that that church went the same way we know that because jesus talks to this church 30 years later through the apostle john in the book of revelation chapter 2 In fact, he dictates a letter to them. And you know how he ends uh, his comments about how they're doing? He said, I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. The Ephesian church, the very ones we're reading about right here. They love Jesus to begin with. And it's interesting. I hear Christians quote that verse. They say, you've lost your first love. No, Jesus doesn't say they lost their first love. He says, you left. Your first love. There's a lot of difference, isn't there? It was a voluntary departure. That's what Jesus said. Somehow, somewhere, their zealous love for Jesus just got snuffed out. They left their first love. Are you a finisher? Do you want to be a finisher? Talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ now. Look back over your life. How you doing? Paul said, I want, to be, I want to be a finisher with joy. In 2 Corinthians, we saw recently when Noah had preached through Corinthians, he was addressing the believers at Corinth. And the words he was talking to them, it was actually talking about giving money. Remember, they said, oh, man, we're, we're going to give a ton. You know, we're going to outgive everybody in Macedonia. We're going to put them to shame. Big talk, high talk, low walk. Because that... A year later, they hadn't given a penny. They were good starters. And so the words that Paul addresses them talks about more than money. It's a good principle in general. He says this. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it 
so there also may be a completion. And later, Paul himself, he said, I desire one thing, and that's to finish the race with joy. Finish whatever God has given me to do. Finish it, not leave it half done. He's able to write that he'd done it. Isn't that great? What a way to go, huh? He says, I have, past tense, fought the good fight. I have finished, there's that word, the race. Wow. I have kept the faith. And of course, the greatest finisher of all, the Lord Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? That's the last word he said on the cross. One word in the original, finished. Boy, there's a lot in that statement. He'd done it all. Praise God. Whatever it takes to get me to heaven, to get you to heaven, he did it. He's saying, I did it all. Finished. Praise God. In Hebrews, he's called the author and finisher of faith. Jesus was a finisher. Well, Paul says here, I want to finish with joy, not with regret. Imagine getting to the end of your life as a believer and as you're ready to go to meet the Lord to think, if only I had done blank, you know, if only I had done it differently. Paul doesn't want to do that. Well, verse 25 raises the question, did they ever see Paul again? He says this, indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Well, as I said, he was actually released from imprisonment and ministered another two years. You remember his heart's desire was ultimately to go to Spain. And it's believed that he went there. Whether he saw the Ephesians again, uh, we really can't say with certainty. Verse 26, he says that he has a clear conscience. Here's the idea again that Paul didn't hold back He didn't tailor his message, you know, to just say things that his listeners wanted to hear. Would would you like to have the preachers who who speak up here only say things you want to hear? Would you like it that way? I wouldn't. (laughs) Let's turn it around. We've talked about Paul not sparing, but saying whatever God had him to say, whether it was comfortable or not. Let's turn it around and let me ask you. Don't answer me. Just think about it. Do you believe that you sometimes need to hear something unpleasant? (laughs) It's truth. If it's true, then I need to hear it. If I'm heading in the wrong direction, if I'm about to make a bad decision, if I've made a bad decision that can be reversed, I need to hear that. And that's what Paul did. And that's what elders, that's one of the things elders do. People think about elders as, oh, yeah, they're the guys that are set up there by God and and uh, they're kind of up like on a pedestal or something. It's a thankless job being an elder. That may shock you. They're the most unappreciated men in the world. You know. They they uh, get going when the going gets tough. That's why Paul is talking this way. He's he's really setting up an example for these elders. This is the way it's got to be, brothers. If you're going to shepherd the flock of God. And so having um, described his own life, now he set the stage. Why has he done all this talking about himself? It's so he can remind them of what he's been doing basically as an elder. He's not recognized as an elder, but he's been doing the work of an elder because he started this church from scratch and he's been shepherding the saints. 
and he's saying this is the way i did it now i'm about to disappear so now let's talk about you because you're going to fill in and so he says in verse 28 therefore there's the there, that's the conclusion in other words in light of everything i've been saying therefore since i've been doing all of this and since i'm not going to be here to do it anymore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock it's interesting he tells them to take heed to two individuals or groups and first he says take heed to yourselves an elder needs to take care of his own life first if i'm out of step with god in my own life then i'm not going to be effective helping other people am i and so he says take heed to your own lives first guard your own relationship with jesus christ first tend to that then he says take heed to all the flock now as we go through this section you're going to see a real uh pastoral uh way of talking the flock shepherd it's a lot like when uh, the lord jesus uh talked to um peter at the end of the gospel of john isn't it remember he said do you love me and he said tend my lambs feed my sheep there it is again that pastoral setting of shepherding then he reminds them how they got this job they didn't apply it says to all the flock among which the holy spirit has made you overseers wow these guys aren't self-appointed god the holy spirit set these men apart to do this great work jesus said you have not chosen me i chose you and appointed you to bear fruit and uh the word that he has here i love this word uh the holy spirit made them overseers i think uh that's what most of them most of your translations will say the word in the greek is episkopos and you can understand what that means because the, the scopos part is where we get the word scope from to see to look to watch you know scope it out epi is simply over it literally means watchers over isn't that good elders are watchers over and in fact you see this word watch 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 occur over and over again in passages about elders and one of my favorite passages that that to me illustrates the work of an elder is of all places in luke 2 the the, the scene we're used to about the shepherds you know out at night at the birth of jesus out watching over their flocks at night there's that phrase it said there were certain shepherds watching over that's overseeing oversight watching over their flocks at night isn't that a good picture and as you and as you think about that you you get this hillside there in israel at night time the stars twinkling up above and here are the sheep just calmly resting you know sleeping maybe a few are chomping on grass but they're calm they're undisturbed but the shepherds are awake in the middle of the night the reason the sheep are there calmly resting and grazing is because the shepherds are awake watching over them you see it's a beautiful picture that's god's picture of a church a lot of believers go through life 
in a, in a good church where there are good elders. And all they know is they have a happy Christian life. They're fed by the word of God. They're shepherded faithfully. And they have no idea of what is going on behind the scenes and the kind of things that the elders are going through. Because the ideal is the elders face the conflict. They handle the trouble. They deal with the difficulties, you see. And the saints are like those sheep. Psalm 23, it's a perfect picture of a good, solid church. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and how am I when the Lord is my shepherd? Man, I lie down in green pastures. I'm just laying down, you know, nice and green. Still waters. That's the life of the sheep. When you've got a good shepherd. But th- don't think it doesn't come at a cost. And the cost is paid by the shepherds. Watch, watch, a beautiful picture. Watch over. You see that phrase over and over again. Hebrews 13, listen to this injunction by God. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out, there it is again, for your souls. Think about that. How would you like to be charged for watching out for the soul of someone else? It's one thing to watch out for the safety of an animal, a mutton. It's quite another thing to watch out for the soul of another person. He says, as those who give account. That makes sense? If these men are going to watch out for the souls for whom Jesus died, they're going to answer for that. Now, as you're listening to this and you're thinking about this, brother and sister... How do you think about the shepherd? Maybe it might be a good idea to help make their job a little easier. Well, that's exactly what God says next. He says, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Let them do it with joy. It's a charge. It's a command from God to you. If you're a believer to let the elders shepherd you with joy and not with grief you say well how can i do that well i'll tell you having been an elder myself you can shepherd with joy when someone is transparent when someone is teachable and when they're available but you shepherd with grief when they're closed unteachable and unavailable i remember it well there are two kinds of sheep The grief giving and the joy giving. And the joy giving are are the saints that you know where they are spiritually. So that when it comes to giving an account, you know what to say. (laughs) You know? The grief giving sheep are the mystery people. You just don't know where they are. Because they don't let you know where they are. They don't want you to know where they are. And... God goes on to say that if you're like that, he says, it's unprofitable for you. That's interesting. A lot of Christians never really understand the incredible, priceless privilege they have of men who simply for the love of Christ are willing to watch over their souls for them. What's also interesting is, you know, you're not going to find elders in who's who. Go get a copy of who's who. You're not going to find elders in there. They're the unknown in the world. But that's okay. You know where they are found? 
in a much better book. You know, when it comes to professions that we can have, God never says anything here about the qualifications of a linebacker or what it takes to be a Hollywood star or a king or a president or some high political figure. You know, all the celebs, people that the world esteems. Isn't that interesting? In fact, all he, you know what he talks about those people? He uses one word. He calls them great. <laughs> you know where he says it? Revelation 20 at the uh, judgment seat at the uh, great white throne. I saw the dead, the small and the great standing before the throne facing Jesus Christ in judgment. What he, when he uses the word there, great, he's qualifying it. He means great in the eyes of people. God esteems elders highly. We should. Though the world places no value. You know, it's, Jesus said, uh, what men esteem highly is an abomination to God. And we can turn that around. Whatever God esteems highly, the world thinks is an abomination. They're 180 degrees. Well, Paul keeps his, uh, his pastoral uh, speech going here when he says then to shepherd, verse 28, the church of God. It's wonderful. In the New Testament, God takes this, this noun, a shepherd, and he turns it into a verb, an action. Shepherd. Do the work of a shepherd. The church of God. It's the same word that Jesus used with Peter when he said, tend my lambs. Same word. Talking about spiritual care counsel teaching guiding protecting and then he reminds these brothers who it is that they are shepherding he says shepherd the church of god wow wouldn't that be sobering to hear that shepherd it's not your church shepherd the church of god in a case that doesn't hit home he then goes on to say which he purchased with his own blood wow that's staggering He's reminding them, you have a stewardship. A stewardship is where somebody uh, owns something and uh, for some reason or another, they, they don't have the time or they're going to be away. They can't take care of it themselves. And so they entrust somebody else with it. Used to be when we went on vacation, we'd have somebody water our lawn for us. You know, that's a stewardship. Joseph was a good example of that in Potiphar's household. It said Potiphar didn't even have to think about what he owned. Joseph did such a good job as a steward. That's the ideal steward. Well, here, these men are stewards of the church of God, people that Jesus bought with his own blood. Think about that. Imagine you had a friend who uh, was going on a trip, <clears throat> and I looked it up. One of the most expensive paintings sold recently was a Van Gogh called Portrait of Dr. Gachet. If you saw it, you'd wonder why it was worth more than five bucks. But it was last sold for $130 million. Can you imagine that? $130 million for a painting. Imagine uh, you live next door to this guy, and he says, you know my portrait of Dr. Geshe, I'm going on vacation. Can I leave it with you? You take care of it for me until I get back. What would you do with that painting? Yeah, I'll, I'll stick it out in the garage here, right between the bicycles. You know, that'll, that'll keep it up there. I think you might, because of the value of this object, you might take a little more care, right? Yeah. 
Well, imagine being a steward of human souls. In particular, souls purchased by Jesus Christ himself. Not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with his own blood as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Wow. Think about your elders right now. That's what they're charged with, brothers and sisters. Appreciate them, pray for them, honor them, respect them. Make their job joyful. Well, Paul goes on to put the fear of God into these men, and rightly so. As I said, being an elder is not an easy job, so he doesn't paint a rosy picture for them. He says, I know this, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. That's what these guys are up against. And, and Paul, it, here we are, we're still in this flock metaphor, you see. And now, Paul, it's like he can look around. He's there at the flock with the brothers, and they got their staffs all there standing among the sheep, right? And as he looks around off in the distance, just kind of appearing once in a while out of the trees, he sees these wolves circling, circling. They're waiting to get in. But Paul, as long as Paul's there, you see, he's let it be known they, they can't get near this flock. He stands up to these guys, you see. One of the, that's just another of the responsibilities of an elder. And we've had it here, yes, over the last 20 plus years. We've had guys come in and we've had to take these guys aside and talk to them outside, away from the flock where they don't see what's going on and say, it would be better if you fellowship someplace else. Often guys that are heretics. Well, that's what Paul sees. And it was real. And he was right, because we know from the letters in the book of Revelation, they came in. And it's interesting how he describes these. They're false teachers, okay? But these are guys who use the word of God. I don't see how anybody could do this. They use the word of God. They pervert it for one purpose, to get people to follow them. We know extreme examples, you know, Jim Jones and David Koresh. History is full of thousands of guys like this. But what's interesting is he talks about them almost like they're murderers, you know. He says they're savage. He says they don't, they're not going to spare. Man, what a picture, huh? And he's right. They're worse than murderers. Think about this. There is no greater sin than keeping someone from coming to know God. Think about that. Would you like to be responsible for that? Keeping another person from coming to know God. Wow. Well, that's what these guys do, you see. Jesus, man, he, he used the strongest language talking about these kind of guys. He said it would be better for a guy like that to have a millstone. You know what a millstone is? You know, can you pick up a rock this big around, okay, about that thick. That's a millstone. Tons. He said it'd be better for that guy to have a millstone tied around his neck. And, and then throw him into the sea. One of these guys that stumbles, one of these little ones, and you could just hear the compassion in Christ's voice when he talked about these precious souls that want to come to him, these little ones. That's what he's talking about. And some guy comes in between and fends them off, you know, and sends them another direction. Boy, he hated that. And so did Paul. And a good elder does too. Wolves. Here's the, here's the shocker. And then Paul says, 
also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves wow we're not talking about from the outside we're talking about from among the ranks of professing christians and yes it still happens i remember a man i used to listen to him share at the breaking bread older fellow professed christ for 50 years he'd been an elder preacher very late in his life he came out and began to write and tell people that jesus christ is not god he denied the deity of christ well listen jesus said unless you believe that i am you will die in your sins that's that's not an optional doctrine you see if jesus is just a man he can't save me it still happens from within they rise up okay here's that word again verse 31 therefore what watch there's that word again watch 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 you want to summarize the activities of an elder in one word watch watch watching over the flock watching their souls watching out for their souls watching what's coming in watching what's happening in the middle as gene used to say if something comes up you get on it like a hen on a june bug if you see uh, a grievance begin within the flock you jump on that right away you wreck you get those two reconciled no matter what it takes watch he and in telling them that he says remember me you watch you remember me remember that for three years i did not cease to warn how many everyone how often night and day how with tears this was serious business to paul watch warning keeping the flock safe and close and healthy well if i were an elder listening to this i would uh be doing some serious introspection boy and so paul ends on exactly the right note here he says so now brethren i commend you to god that's the way to do it isn't that good it's like when he writes in second corinthians who is sufficient for these things and these guys have got to be thinking paul I, i've seen you do this i don't know if i can handle all that and so he says that's okay i commend you to god <coughs> if god appointed you an elder then he will enable you to do the work okay I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That's all they needed to hear. And as a, the last uh, parting shot, he addresses an issue that uh, has been abused through the centuries. He says, I have coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this with my hands, that is, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive for free. It says in the Bible that he who desires to be an elder desires a good work. So it is something, it's a good ambition. That's what God is saying. That's a good thing to have an ambition for, brothers. Okay? I don't meet very many brothers who say, you know, Rick, I want to be an elder someday. It's refreshing. It doesn't happen very often, but it's happened a few times. I wish more brothers had that goal.
is a great need, let me tell you. Because as they begin to see what's involved, and it's for free, you don't get paid for it. That's what Paul's saying here. They're hard to find. It's incredible that later, somehow it got turned around, and now the leader of a church, often called a pastor or a minister or an archbishop or whatever, is paid. It's a job. God never intended that. That's what Paul is saying here. I did it for free. You guys do it that way too. What did Peter say? He said, shepherd the flock of God, not for, in the old King James, I love it, filthy lucre. You know, dirty money. Don't do it. You got to do it freely. And it's true. No matter how you slice it, if I am being paid for being an elder or a pastor or whatever, there is going to be a temptation either in preaching or counseling to tell people what they want to hear. Isn't there? I'm not saying uh, it's always acted upon, but the temptation is there because my paycheck is going to depend on my performance. That's why in the Bible, God specified it, plurality of elders, and they do the job for free. It's hard to find men that are willing to do that. And when you do, they're precious. Thank God for the elders here. We're going to end by looking at one last verse about elders. Turn right to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As I said, God has a lot to say about elders in the New Testament. Twice he enumerates their qualifications. That should say something. You know, God has such small space in his word. When he repeats something, it's got to be important. And he lists it twice. He he has a lot to say about what they do, as I said in the epistles. We just saw one section. But then he has a lot to say to us in how we are to respond to our elders. We, We saw one in Hebrews, didn't we? Obey them. Do it so that they can shepherd you with joy. Those are commands. Well, here's another one. First Thess 5, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Think about that. He says esteem them very highly. I said before, a good way to study the Bible is to take a verse, strip off all the adverbs and adjectives, all the modifiers, Just get down to the core. How could God have said it in the simplest way? Well, here he could have simply said, respect them. That's what that's basically what he's saying. So God would have written, respect your elders. And that's a good command. I understand what that means. But he doesn't say it that way. Look how God really said it. He said, esteem them. Highly, he added that word. Think about that. But he didn't just do that. He said, esteem them what? Very highly. You think about that. That speaks to me because I have to confess, I am amazed at how freely believers will talk about the elders. Second, guess them, gossip about them, criticize them. And what's interesting to me is 
Uh, and that's true, by the way, of just about every figure of authority in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? The ones that God esteems the most, that God places in authority, whether it's a husband or parent or uh, the government or elders, you find people badmouth so freely without even thinking about it. And yet, if you look at the commands to people who are under people in authority, the word that God uses over and over again is esteem or honor. Isn't that interesting? He's addressing that problem. Wives are to reverence their husbands. Children are to honor their parents. And here, brothers and sisters, we're told to esteem our elders. And not just esteem, esteem them highly. And not just esteem them highly, esteem them very highly. He's saying, place a lot of value on those guys because God does. You see, think about it. You, we've just got a little insight and we haven't covered the whole field as to what an elder must do. It's not an easy job, let me tell you. So don't sit around second guessing, you know, and saying, well, you know, they should have done it this way. Uh-uh. <laughs> Look, you weren't there. You don't know the facts. And besides that, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you say, oh, well, that verse is just talking about there's a church wherever there's at least two Christians. No, that verse is, is uh, addressed to men when they have to make the decision of excommunication. Go read it. He's saying, I am with the leaders of a church in a very special way when they have to make that tough decision. That's what he's saying. He's not saying he's with you and me, in a, although he is. But he says in a very special way, I am with the leaders of the church when the going gets tough because I know how tough it is. So if God esteems them highly, and then he tells us to, I think we should. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you said, I will build my church. We see you doing it here in Acts, and we see you doing it here today, 2007. You are a faithful God. Thank you. We know that when Paul was finally taken away, you did indeed raise up men to stand in the gap. Elders, faithful men to shepherd the flock of God, often without thanks, without recognition, looking only to you for a reward. And we thank you, Lord, you continue to do that to this day. We thank you for the men you have placed over us. Lord, help them. Give them wisdom. Give them strength. Give them, Lord, the confidence to do the right thing in the fear of God, even though everybody else says they're wrong. And Lord, help us as we are obedient to them and submissive to them and revere them. Lord, may we make it so that they do their job with joy and not with grief, because we know it would be unprofitable for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, the great over-shepherd. Amen.